Hello? Who's there? Awi, <laughs> Naina. Who's your mom? Egua, who's your dad? Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest Nitsigasun, Ginekoma My name is Amber Dion and I'm from the Kihiwan Cree Nation right here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, I'm a social worker, and I'm also an assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Hey, hey! <laughs> My English name is Terry Sengens. I'm from Sally Cree Nation, and I am the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Keogh Weston at McEwen University. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the conversations. Uh, welcome to Episode 7 of Two Crees in a Pod. Uh, today we are joined by um, none other than Mr. Natani Means. And... Um, so I, I've been following Natani's uh, work and his music for years, and um, I've always been really inspired uh, by your music, uh, Natani. And then the more that I started to follow you, the more that um, I realized that you are so much more than music. Um, and so um, we're really thankful to have you join us today. We want to give you some space to introduce yourself in whichever way you so choose. Um, so again, this is where you're going to come in and you're just going to speak straight Lakota to us, Natani. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, uh, um, Natani means in Machiapolo. Um, Oglala Lakota Hemacha, uh, Amataha. Uh, my name is Natani Means. I'm I'm Oglala Lakota. I'm Dene and I'm Umaha. I introduce myself in Lakota. I can introduce myself in Omaha and Navajo too, just because I found it like I need to learn every part of myself, just to like honor those parts of myself because um, I come from uh, different tribes, different nations. So, um, but yeah, I grew up on Ch in Chinle, Arizona, on the Navajo Nation Reservation in Arizona, and um, I went to school in New Mexico when I graduated high school. I went to art school for filmmaking, and I learned how to tell stories. That's, and I learned about a lot of other people's stories, and then I started to develop my own story um, in my 20s. So that's who I am. I'm a hip-hop artist. I'm sometimes an editor on on videos. I I conduct workshops for youth empowerment. I do I own a clothing company called the Obsidian Collective, which is based out of Los Angeles. And you know, just out here trying to better myself every single day. Nice. Um one of the reasons why we wanted to uh, have you as a guest uh, was predominantly because of some of the work that you have done that has been pretty visible. So you've done a lot of work that has been pretty visible, whether that be on the front lines or with music. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk to us a little bit about why you do what you do? What inspires you to do what you do? Uh, I really appreciate in your introduction when you talked about learning how to tell stories um, or and learning about other people's stories and then telling your own. I think that that's really beautiful. And so can you talk to us about why that, how did that become important in your life? Okay, well, when I was, 
when I was 18, right? Like I grew up my whole life on the reservation. And I, luckily I had a father who's an activist and an, an actor, an artist, you know, he was everything, man. Um, and <laughs> he would even call himself a computer tech because he went to school in the 70s for computers. But uh, <laughs> his name was Russell Means. And my mom, she was an educator and she was a teacher. She was a curriculum development coordinator. And then she became principal at many different schools. And she she brought those schools from failing to passing. So they, they would move her from school to school to do that in, Ch in Chinle Unified School District, which is the largest um, district for Native students mm. in, in the country, in the United States. Um, and then she became associate superintendent at the end of her career. So uh, I was raised by, on one end, this freedom fighter, activist. You know, he used to make me read the treaties, used to lecture me all the time, used to talk with me. He used to tell me these stories over and over again to get it in my head. And on the other side, I was raised by an educator who was, who was like stressing the importance of getting your education, going to school, you know, getting, you know, being good on that path. So um, when I was in high school, uh, I didn't have a plan. I was kind of just like, whatever. And Chinle High School is huge. It's huge, man. It's like, what, 1,500 Navajo students, you know? freshmen through seniors and uh, I never I was in eight I was in honors classes all the way up until my senior year when I decided to to just because I didn't want to go to school to be like a big scholar or nothing I knew I wanted to go to school for something like I was good in carpentry I was good in filmmaking I didn't know what I wanted to do so I dropped my AP classes and I went down lower classes and I seen how students were treated differently from that level to this level. And it kind of, when I was in high school, I noticed it and it kind of kind of pissed me off a little bit. And I kind of didn't take school seriously after that in my, in my senior year. Hmm. So these recruiters would come and they would tell us about ASU. They would tell us about Arizona State University, New Mexico State, USC, UCLA. And I noticed the difference of how students were being treated from the from the AP honors to like the students I was with in this in this level. You know what I'm saying? And... Um, it made me at the time feel not important because we weren't being approached. We weren't being told how to do, how to apply to schools. We weren't being taken out of class to like work on our, our college applications and work hand in hand with these counselors and stuff. So it kind of just, I was just like, whatever then, well, fuck it. Um, and at the end of the school year, I didn't apply to any colleges. I was just gonna fucking, I was just gonna grass dance. I was just gonna, cause I, I was a big powwow person back then. I danced old style grass. So I was like, you know what? I'm good at this. I'm gonna go do it. I'm just gonna see what, what, what happens. And my brother at the end of the summer, he was like, well, are you going to school? His name's Tatanka. And he's six years older than me. He's like, are you going to school? I guess at the time he'd be 24. You going to school? And I was like, nah, I'm just gonna take a, take a semester off. And, see what happens. He was like, you're not going to go back to school if you take a semester off. So I know that's what I did. <laughs> and so he, at the time, he was taking classes at Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe. And he didn't tell me, but he enrolled me. He paid all my application fees and he, he wrote everything for me. 
wrote my, <laughs> wrote, wrote my little essay. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing I know, I got a, I got a letter saying I got accepted. And it was like August. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he was like, you're going to school. You're going to school. He's like, this is a good school. I take classes here. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. And so I went to school. I went to Indian, uh, I went to uh, a tribal college. And when I got there, I have always done music. I've always written. I always rapped. I wasn't good at it. I, now looking back, I was not good at it. <laughs> but um, when I went to tribal college, I had met with this, this dude from California. And he was like our, our group's mentor. His name is Tyler Perone. And he's from Thule River, Yokuts. And when I first met him, I didn't know he was native. But he was like, where are you from, bro? And I was like, I'm from Navajo Nation. He's like, oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Like, I'm from Cali, from Tribe in Cali. And I was like, there's natives in Cali? Because I didn't know. That's how sheltered I was. That's how sheltered I was. I was just like, what? There's natives in Cali? And to me, that was like a point in my life where I was like, Man, I don't know everything. I'm not as smart as I think I am. So from then on, I I made it a point to like learn from everybody there at the tribal college where they were from. Hmm. So I would go up to people and be like, where are you from? Where are you from? Tell me where they're from. And it's just a bunch of people fresh off the res, you know what I'm saying? Fresh out the cities, fresh out the inner cities. And it was I, it was hard. I mean, I remember it being really hard for a lot of natives to get used to college. And for me, it was really hard. And even though I was just like five hours away from home, fuck, I missed home. And there was times where I just wanted to leave and go back to the res and just bury myself there. But all my friends were gone. They were all in scholarship, basketball scholarships. They're gone. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, there's nothing there. So I might as well just stay here. But I've seen people fall. People drink too much. People would um, fight, fighting, get kicked out for fighting. Um, all that stuff. So one day I went down to his house, that dude Tyler Prone, and I was just gonna kick it because I was feeling really bad, man. And and he was he was rapping. He was in there rapping with like two other people. One dude from Pine Ridge, one dude from Oklahoma, and there's a Arapaho dude, three guys. There's a Arapaho guy from Wind River. And I was like, I was like, oh, you guys rap? I was like, I got a beats. I got a CD of beats in my car that my cousin made. They're like, oh, go get that. So I came and got it and I gave it to them. And they're like, do you do you write? And I was like, yeah, I write. They're like, well, shit, hop on the song. So they showed me the song and I was like, okay, I'm going to hop on it. And I hopped on that song. And the verse was so whack. I still have it. It's whack. I need you to play that for us real quick. No, no, no. <laughs> it's something like, it was something like, they call me Natanika. That's my name. And you better remember it like a stain on your brain. And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God. But I heard, this is the first time I heard my voice back to me. Hmm. And I hated it. Oh, I hated it. I thought it just was, I, I liked it, but I hated it. Because my favorite rappers were like Nas and, you know, like these these giants, you know what I'm saying? And I was just like, I'm not as good as them. I'm not as good as, and I'm 18. And they were 18 when they released their classics. I was just like, what the fuck? So I was trying to compare myself. And so I would, I would, I would just keep writing, keep recording, keep writing, and I didn't release music until like 2011. And I thought I was good enough to release music, and 
that's when I first started releasing music. I released a song called Dead Presidents on YouTube. And I was taking a poetry class that helped me think deeper, I think. I came home one night from going out and I sat down and I just, I wrote Dead Presidents like at three in the morning. And that's one of my favorite verses of, of all time. And not a lot of people heard it. A lot of people, I mean, some people have heard it, but not a lot of people, but it, it's, it's, it's a verse that truly defines who I, who I was and who I was in that transitional period from the reservation to like college. And you can see like how much I woke up and how much I realized the world at that point. Mm. And um, so that's when I started releasing music. Mm. Yeah. I think we have the, the title for this session. Stain on your brain. Is that what you said? Oh my God. <laughs> please, please no. That is what we are going to please, do. Please no. Stain on your brain. That's how he means. I hate Stand that song. Stain on your brain. Let's go. Oh Let's my go. God. No, thank you. <laughs> Did you have a question for him? I think maybe it's not necessarily a question, but just a few comments. Uh, the last episode, we interviewed my older sister. Hmm. And one of the things that, you know, we talked about, um, and often we talk about is, you know, how she was very much, she's seven years older than me. Um, and she was uh, a role model in a sense of, you know, me and my younger brother had no choice but to go to school. Uh, and mm. so very early on in, you know, high school, there was that push. And so what I say to our listeners, you know, and to our young folks who are listening is, you know, making sure that we are creating these opportunities for our younger siblings in, in moving forward. Um, and not only in just education, but, you know, even with um, our life and connecting to culture, ceremony and language, which uh -huh. is equally important yeah. Um, and I think one of the things that you talked about that, you know, a lot of our post-secondary students struggle with um, is that they move to Edmonton to a big city and they leave their community. You know, I attended this university when I was 18 and I left. Uh, I left my home community and it was difficult. And again, it's very easy to get caught up. It's very easy to get caught up in, in you know... Uh, a life that isn't isn't the right path that you should be taking. Um, yeah. And so I guess I, it's a question, and I know what the answer is for for each of us is different. But you know, what were what were some of the things that you missed with your community when you hmm. think back to you know being in an institution and leaving and being five hours away from home? Uh -huh. yeah. um, what were those things that you missed? But what were what was what was the strength? Where did you find your strength in staying in those institutions as well? The funny thing about it is, and I talk about this when I go places, when I go to youth events or whatever, because I say I grew up, I grew up in the heart of a res reservation that's a dry res, and it's two hours to any kind of town. We do have a grocery store. We have you know places to eat, fast food restaurants, whatever, but it's expensive. Um, and when I was living there, when I was young, I hated it. I hated it, man. One, because everyone was, everyone, every time you go to the store, there's just drunks around. There's a lot of drunks. You grow up with a lot of alcohol around and 
you know, that's nobody's fault. Um, it's nobody's fault in, in, in my household, you know what I'm saying? But grow up with a lot of alcohol around. You, you have friends that have grown up with a lot of alcohol around. You just start drinking at a young age because that's what you see. And, you know, you learn how to lie at a young age because that's what you see. And so I grew up hating it. I grew up hating the, the res and I was, couldn't wait to get out. Tell my friend, oh, I can't wait to get out. I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. And I might still have that deep down in me of not never coming back, of, of never coming back because I do hardly go back now. And there might be some deep res resentment there for it. But looking back on it now, it's like I hated it so much. I used to hate how drunk people were, how methed out everyone was, how people just sold drugs, and it just seemed, it just seemed like a like a like a like a stalemate. It was just there was just it was never progress. Mm. And but when I left, fuck, I missed it. I missed every single part of it. I missed how hard it was. I missed, uh, and I do, and I write about it all the time in my music about how hard it is to grow up there. About, but then how beautiful, and it took me to leave to see how beautiful it was, huh. to see how the beauty in it. And oh man, those people were trying to help. Mm -hmm. That boxing gym was there for the for the kids. These guys just wanted to help me. The canyons right there with all those stories. You know what I'm saying? We have all these petroglyphs around that tell our stories. And I chose to just look at the ugly when I was younger. And, and because I guess that's what you gravitate to. You know, you're stuck in it. And it finds you, too. Yeah. The negative finds you when you're younger because you're young. But um, what took me from going back home was that when I would go for breaks, my mom was still living at home, was still living on the res then. And there was nothing. There was nothing for me to do. There's just nothing for me to do. There was no one to hang out with. Um... Back then I chose, I think I went to a party and it got too crazy, like really bad. And I told myself, I'm never going to one of these on the res ever again. And I never did. And that woke me up to the fact of, well, what, what can I bring to the, bring back home that's going to make home better? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what we all, that's what we all try to do. And that's what we all try to do. That's what you're doing with the podcast. That's what you're doing with. That's why I do with my music. That's why I mentioned I mentioned it in my songs, because I want to make it better. I want to I want to put it up on this pedestal and make people proud of it. I want I wanted to to show the strength in being from Chinle, Arizona, and that we come from hard circumstances, but there's so much beauty in it. And since then, there's been you know Netflix documentary made in Chinle, Arizona on the Wildcat basketball team. You know what I'm saying? And um, or, you know all kinds of things have happened there. So what kept me from going back is the fact that I wanted to get better when I was younger. I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow out of that. I wanted to grow out of that, that mind state. And when I lost my dad in 2012 to cancer, um, that, that also switched me up because I never looked at, I never looked at, Pine Ridge as home. That's where he's from in South Dakota. I could never look at it as home because every time we go there, it was to visit. It was to visit another reservation. And it was just like visiting Chin Lee, same thing. And um, 
But after he passed away, I gravitated towards that area. And I would go there constantly, and I still do. You know, I'm learning Lakota. I'm, I'm there. I'm trying to move there. I'm trying to get a house there, you know. And, and um, I guess that that made me switch right there to just wanting to be home. I, I don't know. I just... Looking as a 29-year-old right now, looking back on 20-year-old me or 21-year-old me, I was so lost until the age of 27, I think. I was so lost. I was so confused. And a death of a parent could really mess you up. And it messed me up bad. And I blamed everything. I blamed him. I blamed myself. I blamed my mom. I blamed my upbringing. I... I um I didn't I didn't want to go back to the reservation. So I made music and music helped me out. In 2013 I released my first album and I went with that. And then it got picked up by MTV and then it kind of went higher and then I'm going up here and then now I'm getting asked to go here and here and here and all these different places and I kind of got stuck in that a little bit. That 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 climb of being recognized or, you know, making money and, and all these things. And it helped me grow, but it helped, but it didn't help me grow at the same time. I don't even know how to explain it, man. I just, I think I'm going off on a tangent. I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's a good tangent. It's a good tangent. And I think that one of the really interesting things that you said, and you hear this all the time, because one of the things that you and I have heard is that, it's this escaping your reserve. Like, it's like we have to, I know you all call them reservations, we call them reserves, but yeah. like, it seems to be that when white folks see us in an institution, they're like, oh, you left the res? You know, yeah. like, and it seems to be this place that you want to escape. And much like your experience, like, yeah, like, you know, as a young person growing up in my home community, there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol. And we normalize the shit out of that. Like we normalize the shit out of that. Like walking into parties when you're like 15 and seeing people shooting up at a table with babies all around. And you're just like, you normalize the shit out of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you leave and then you miss, you know, like you said, the connections, like living next door to your relative and just like stopping in and, you know, having dinner or you know, or whatever, whatever that, or even just the relationship to the landscape and knowing that at one point it might've been unsafe, but it is the safest place I've ever been. And I explained this, I had a question asked of me, we're in a training session one day and this, uh, this lady who's not indigenous, um, asked me, you know, like, you know, how did you leave? You know, like, again, like it was this place that you had to escape. And, uh, And then she started talking about safety and I'm Mm. like, you know, when I was, I was 18 when I moved to Edmonton for the first time on my own, because before that I lived with my sisters here in the city and, um, I got my own place and I lived in this apartment, this basement suite, just in old Strathcona off white Ave and white Mm. Ave is like a party, party central. Right. Yeah. And we're talking, me and this lady, we're talking in there and I'm like, you know what? I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and, you know, 
garbage in the ditch and you know all kinds of shit back home i'm like but the amount of alcohol and drugs and violence and how many times i've heard women being raped outside of that little apartment in this city in old strathcona was just as vile was even more vile and i didn't feel safe there whereas mm -hmm. back home in my community i've always felt safe right and so i think that there's this piece that you brought up that's really important and that's that and i hope that the young people can hear that that while there's while there may be some unsafety in our communities and we have to acknowledge that there's also a lot of unsafety outside of our communities and that the racism is you know undescribable oh, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. And, and like, you know, I mean, living near border towns in the U S is, is lethal. Actually it's life threatening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, when I started realizing, um, who I was becoming, it was, people always ask me, do you feel pressure to become an activist? Or, you know, pick up your father's work. You know, do you, you have big shoes to fill? And I always thought about it. And my dad never really pressured me to, 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 uh, to pick up his work. He told me one time, he's like, I want you to continue my work. <laughs> but I was like, mm. I was like 16. <laughs> I was like, mm. we'll see. But after that, he was never really, he never really like was like, you know, do this and do this and do this if I'm ever, if I'm ever going to leave. Um, he always wanted me to be, find myself and be, be, become who I'm going to become. But I looked up to him so much when he passed away. I, I think I missed him so much that I, I found comfort going to that kind of thing. I, would, I find comfort going to rallies and I got a group like that too. You know, it's what I knew. Going to rallies, going to marches. Um, pretty soon, I was going to actions, and then, um, you know, something like Standing Rock happens. You know what I'm saying? And I was, I think, when Standing Rock happened, I told myself, "All right, you're nobody here. You know, you don't need to become anybody here, and just watch and learn." Because I did. I wanted to watch and learn what 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 would happen, and how people moved. And it was a very, very interesting, very interesting time, man. And it was like watching, um, I don't even know how to say it. It's like when watching, Sammy Rock was like, it was beautiful. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But it's like when you pour water on an anthill, everyone scatters. Everything, all the ants scatter. It was like, it was watching leaders like that. Leaders that just fucking didn't know what to do. Trying to get away from the water. You know what I'm saying? And to me, that was not what I'm used to seeing. Mm -hmm. I'm not used to seeing that. And I started to lose a lot of faith in my people. You know what I'm saying? But I also was doing that as, most, as much as I could out there. You know what I'm saying? And um, afterwards, you know, I stayed there from beginning to end. And afterwards, we went, we went on tour. And there's a group of us. And... It was very, um, that's when a lot, like, I felt myself becoming a different person physically. I was having panic attacks. So I learned what anxiety was. Hmm. I never had anxiety before, before this. Never had panic attacks before this. I never um, knew what it felt like to feel like you're going to die just by sitting here, 
you know what I'm saying? Like doing nothing, freaking out while you're breathing. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of ceremonies to get to get that out of me to to help to help myself. And it's still still trying to help myself. Um, but now I'm sitting here, and in a, in the span of ten years from 2010 to 2020, just the how how I don't like using the word woke for our people, but how um what's another word for woke how <laughs> awake awake <laughs> how how i guess i don't know man how how woke they become how invigorated they've become mm-hmm. to stand for our rights is is mind blowing yeah you know what i'm saying and I, I guess a lot of that is contributed to the internet um but it's beautiful cuz 10 years ago i go to I go to a rally with my dad and I, there may be nobody there. You know what I'm saying? Like 40 people or something like that. Now it's like people are just are doing it, man. And it's young people. It's people younger than me. It's 19 or 20 year olds, 18 year olds, you know, creating TikToks to like, to like <laughs> gain, to gain awareness and to, to, to make all this content on behalf of our people. And it's so beautiful. And it's so beautiful, and it's and it's it's a beautiful thing because I feel like when I in one of my songs I, I talk about being the last of a dying breed, and that's not that's not saying oh we're the last of a dying people, it's it's mentally we're the last of a, a generation, us like me, you, my brother, we're the last of a generation of that were raised by a certain generation that were beating down and boarding in residential schools that were that were um relocated in, in America we had the relocation era when they sent them away to cities and my dad was a part of that my mom my grandpa helped with it and we're the last being raised by them hmm. you know what I'm saying and the kids being raised now there's so much more fearless and aware also that's important to be aware and because they're not afraid of the government you know you go to a place you go to some place where where people were 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 being down in boarding school some of them would be like hey maybe we shouldn't do this right you know well, maybe we shouldn't do this you know then well me i don't know that kind of fear and i'm gonna be like well i'm gonna do it why not do it? You know what I'm saying? So it's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not like disrespecting them, but it's, it, it is. It's like, mm-hmm. we are, we are the last of a, of a mind state, of a dying mind state hmm. of being afraid from this government. Now you have these, imagine like, like your daughters, what they're going to be like at our age, you know what I'm saying? Or, or how powerful they're going to be because they're, they were raised with this knowledge and this, seeing everything so powerful online and around and watching people stand up. And that's how I was raised. I was raised with Russell Means, you know what I'm saying? Like now there's people that are standing like that constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, oh, one leader here, one leader there. Everyone's becoming leaders and our children are going to become leaders. Like we always say that we want our children to become leaders. Literally, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's gonna happen. They're gonna be breaking chains. They're gonna be breaking everything. 
they're going to be creating a new a new world for us and we're just here to help them you know i'm here to help them um and i can't wait for that to happen and for that to happen as a man you have to remove yourself from ego because i am in a, i am in i'm also in this world of competition of of hip hop of of trying to make money trying to get hired for things and I've realized to myself, you know what? I don't have to compete with anybody. If there's younger people kind of trying to come up, I need to help them. I don't need to. I don't need to be over here trying to be the big, the face of everything, and they don't need to be catering to me or something. And um, it t- it's it's taking all this learning and growing and going through these panic attacks and therapy and. And, and, you know, learning about learning from myself, my younger self, you know, being removed out of the reservation into college, learning in college, being removed from college, learning about real life, traveling here and there, going to front lines, going to fight Keystone XL, learning how to stand up to the police, fighting at line three in Minnesota, um, helping with Apaches at Oak Flat. It's taken all that to just get to this point of remove that ego from yourself because you ain't shit you ain't shit <laughs> but <laughs> but what you can do is to is just help people and that's where I'm at right now and it's um and it's kind of an awakening because I'm finding myself not remembering a lot from my childhood and it's really weird I sat here and I one of my one of my <laughs> One of my best friends just passed away from OD. And um we went back home and we were trying to like we were talking and we we're like laughing, remembering memories, and I was like, I can't, I can't remember those. When just a couple of years ago I know I could have. I did like that. They sounded familiar. And I was just, why don't I remember these? And I, I thought about it these past few days and, you know, I've, I've prayed. And I, th- I think I've come to the realization, like, either I'm, I'm, like, growing past that person or I'm coming into another or something. But it's, it's getting hard for me to remember memories hmm. like that. And I don't know what, what it is. But I guess it has to be good. I just you just have to be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself. And that's what I have to remind myself to do because I can be self-destructive. I can be very angry. My first initial thought on something is to get angry and want to fight it. That's just how I was growing up. That's how I was raised. But I you can't do that all the time. <laughs> And that's where, as men, that's where we, that's where we, um, that's where we fault. I think like we, we don't. A lot of men don't aren't raised with compassion or aren't aware of compassion. End up in prison and never learn that. Stay in prison, mm-hmm. or end up on the drugs and stay in the drugs, stay in the streets, because they never learned about compassion, and that's something that women are are blessed to have embedded in them already. Some men have it too, but a lot of men don't. 
and we have a lot of lost Akichita, lost defenders, lost warriors out here. And I always look at my friends, like the friend, my friends that are like, who are knockout artists and who can fight and just fight like good. I always look at them like, those would have been like the, the warriors back in the day. Oh my God. Then they get to the certain age and they kind of just don't know. And I always think to myself, well, maybe, you know, we didn't have long lives back then. Maybe they were meant for something else. Maybe they're born in a different time. Maybe we're born for different, I don't know. But we have so much lost out there in the jail systems, in the, in the, um, in the streets. Like my homie, and I don't mean to speak on anybody that's passed, but I don't know why, why, why that happened. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, but um, that's my goal right now. I think is to show, is to show our young people, both boys and girls and men, young men, young women, that um, there's just, there's more to it. And I've been there before. And that you do have to learn how to have compassion in life. And it takes a lifetime to learn compassion and patience. And for me, for sure, and I've learned that from my father because he didn't have the best patience or compassion. Sometimes he'd have the best compassion, but it was on his time. You know what I'm saying? So how do I how do I change and better myself from that? How do I not do that and do better? And even if it's not the best, at least I know when I have kids that they're going to look at me and be like, okay, he did his best. I'm going to do better. And that's how we heal our generations from seven generations from now. And that's, I think that's why we always looked out seven generations from now, because we can always become better. I always think about that, like during Crazy Horse's time. What was seven generations before that? Hmm. Because we still had to learn those virtues. We have seven Lakota virtues. Why were those implemented? There was a time when we didn't have those virtues, when we were probably angry towards each other, didn't know wisdom, were were spiteful or something, you know? And then we had to learn those virtues and maintain those virtues. So it's like going through a rebirth right now of, of learn, relearning virtues and, and sending them off. Sending them off and teaching them to our youngers, younger generations. And I don't want to sound cliche or anything saying that, but it's really real. It is. It is, man. And because seven generations from now could be so much better from who we are now. Yeah. Or so much worse. It's really up to whoever you are. <laughs> All right. Um, that, that story you just told about the last of a dying breed or the, the generate that just is that's stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. That's just stuck in my mind. And I'm going to leave this thinking about that more and more because yeah. I think that that's, you're right. Like there's that fear. Like my friend here is probably one of the most fearless people I've ever known in my life. 
And I say that with all of my heart. <laughs> that this woman will take on you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Hold on, hold on. She wants, I'm kidding. She wants to have a rap. Hold on, hold on. She wants to have a rap battle. I used to rap when I was like 13. <laughs> Oh my god, what are you hearing? Trying to rap battle? Oh my god. Oh my god, that's not the direction I was going. But it's funny. But um but she she really is one of the most fearless people I've ever known in my life. And uh someone who will stand up for what's right and um who will face fears uh head on. And she's teaching her daughters that mm -hmm. and and I think that that's such a beautiful thing is to watch the people that you know and you love become fearless or or just be fearless yeah and so I really appreciate that because while you were saying it I was thinking of her <laughs> and uh and so and I and I'm really I'm really thankful that you said that Natani that that really hit me right in the heart and so um, and just, and like I said, going away, thinking about that, but yeah. we do eventually have to wrap up our conversation because yeah, we could yeah. probably sit here for like another two hours, but, sure. um, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Um, I think if you're listening right now in a world that's so like, it's so angry in countries that are so angry and you might be angry. One of the things I always tell myself when I'm, because I'm a, I don't like to say I'm a frontliner, but I know what to do in situations of tense situations with police and oil company, security people, and all these things, you know what I'm saying, where we, where we do things that could land us a lot of, I mean, just in the Black Hills just recently, you know what I'm saying? We didn't get to talk on that, but it's okay. Um, it's always better to be proactive than reactive in everything you do in life. Mm -hmm. And it took me a lot of watching, learning, and messing up myself to not be reactive. Because reactive, reactivity can really mess you up, mess people up around you, get you caught, it could get you beat up, it could get you arrested, it could get you so much more, you know, so much more negative things I could say. But to be proactive, to stop, take a breath, assess the situation, be aware of your surroundings, that will get you far in life and keep you safe in this world right now. Because, I mean, I've been in places where the police are shooting us with live rounds, shooting at us with live rounds. In Minneapolis, they're shooting at us with live rounds mm -hmm. when we were protecting a, a building owned by, um, by a tribe. Downtown Minneapolis or, or Southside Minneapolis. You have to stop and you have to think to yourself, am I being, what am I going to do right here in this situation? It's a split second decision that you have to make that. Am I going to stop? Am I going to do something crazy? Or am I needed here? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And for a lot of us men, we do want to go out like that. You know, it's in our, it's in our blood memory and I feel it sometimes. Like, yeah, I should go out right now. But how, how much of an impact would that have unless if, or if I stayed here for, for and grew old, would that have a bigger impact? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So 
that's something I fight with myself all the time, proactive and reactive too. You don't get better at it. It's, it's always in the moment. It's like a panic attack. You just got to walk through it. You just yeah. got to walk through it. And, uh, and um, so I appreciate you guys and I appreciate everyone that's listening. I hope you guys are good and safe during this pandemic. Prayers to all of you. And uh, thank you for listening. Please, please check out my music. <laughs> you have Having, something new coming out, right? Yeah, we have a new project coming out and I haven't, I haven't named it yet. Two projects, actually. I'll be announcing those soon. So follow me on Instagram. <laughs> follow me on Instagram so you can keep up with the information. And thank you guys to Crease in a Pod. And I hope you guys like your intro song. Yes. Thank you very me much. Me and Anton worked on that. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much, Natani. Thank, thank you. you thank you. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point. Frustrations of a common man. Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land. I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor. Like, what's the use of my kids? Can't taste clean water. A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice. Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice. Remember ancestors' anguish, lightning in our veins. Hear it in a language when they are kitchen for the rain. I am product of people that persevere persecution. Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting. Experience our pain when our women disappear daily. Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the woods, in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptations? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.